Welcome, fellow traveler. You are now listening to the Tent Theology Podcast. Each week, we have a tent talk where we pursue the renewing of the Christian social and political imagination. Welcome, friends. This is Tent Theology, the podcast. My name is Chris Marchand, one of the co-hosts, co-producers, along with Stephen Backhouse, Natasha Beckles, and Sean McCoy. Welcome. If you would, please join me in the tent today. I am excited to be able to offer you a unique conversation. Stephen, over the course of the, the past year or so of this podcast, has offered so many amazing conversations uh, with people that are on the front lines, people that are, are, are thinking in new ways about how to engage our world as followers of Jesus. Well, today, you get to listen to my conversation with Harmony Smith. It's between myself as a church music leader and Harmony as somebody who has led worship for decades and pastored for decades. So it's between uh, two creative types. Harmony is the director of worship for the Vineyard Movement in the UK. She's also a co-pastor with her husband, Andy, at Belfast City Vineyard and has done so since 2002. So a big part of our conversation is how we as music leaders in the church, song leaders, worship leaders, there's lots of different titles, by the way, which we get into a little bit, how we can engage and, and challenge our people through the songs that we sing. In fact, Harmony herself has done this. She's written a song called You Have Our Yes, which in part was inspired by some things that Stephen had said in our very own podcast. Along with that, Harmony herself interviewed Stephen for her own podcast, uh, which is through Vineyard. One of the things about today, I encourage you to check out our show notes on our Simplecast website because there's going to be links to chords for this song, You Have Our Yes, which I have really come to love and hopefully will be singing soon in my own church. So You Have Our Yes, check out the chord charts. You'll also find links to Harmony's interview with Stephen, which is from, from last year. I also wanted to give a thanks to the Vineyard who allowed us to use the songs that you hear on, on the episode today. One last thing before we get into our conversation. I wanted to let you know there is another version of this interview available on my own podcast, Post Consumer Reports, where Harmony and I get into a lot more of the specifics regarding music leading, worship leading, uh, the, the songs and the impact of the Vineyard Movement. So if you're a worship leader and a music leader and you want an alternate view of this conversation or an extended view, please check that out at postconsumerreports.com. So come with me inside the tent where Harmony Smith and I chat about worship music and her song, You Have Our Yes. Our rights and our freedoms, our flags and our kingdoms, all of our idols must bow. Our wars and our our worldly possession All of our idols must bow Welcome, Harmony, to the tent. We, we thank you that we're here. I'm, I'm in my tent in Illinois, uh, in America, and you're in your tent where? In Belfast in Northern Ireland. Belfast in Northern Ireland. And uh, you can correct me if I get this wrong, but your your title is director of worship uh uk ireland northern ireland uh for for vineyard and i think 
I think my first question is, is how does, how do you get a job like that? And what does that, <laughs> what does that job entail? <laughs> That's a great were you question. were you the coolest worship leader? Is that what happened? <laughs> well, okay. So, firstly, <laughs> um, before I respond to that little bait that you dangled in front of me, firstly, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I really appreciate you guys, and it's an honor to get to have a conversation with you. Um, you know, how did I end up in this job? I've been a worship leader and a pastor in a local church for 20 years, which is a long time. And um, my husband and I were part of the leadership team, the national team of the Vineyard in the UK and Ireland. And it was just one of those moments where we realized somebody needed to provide some oversight to worship in our movement. And I was sitting in the room. <laughs> And I was the only worship leader. Maybe they just didn't have anybody else to ask. <laughs> so here I am. Okay. So I, so when I think of the vineyard in the UK, like I, I think of, uh, you know, maybe primarily congregations around the London area, but I don't know exactly where there might be prominent churches. I associate Vineyard UK with worship albums that really mm -hmm. influenced my life. So mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just interesting to hear that how that process works, but, but you stepped up into it. What, what is that? What does that role look like for you? What 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 have you been doing the past few years? Well, probably my focus has been around training worship leaders. And I was doing a bit of that locally as well in Belfast. And so we had a worship school in Belfast for a number of years. And then I suppose that was a bit of a training ground, a little practice for what, what are some things that we could do across the the movement and we're still figuring it out in terms of training and um, I suppose COVID has provided us with some interesting challenges as well. Um, we run worship retreats, worship leader intensives and hopefully all being well those things will start to actually happen in person again. So we've done some things online recently um, which have been good but there really is no uh, comparison really to the in-person kind of exchange of friendship and life together. Um, so we also do publishing, songwriting, recording. We do a bit of that still. Um, the songs that you're referring to are probably ones like Come Now is the Time and Hungry, which are like 20 years old or so, mm -hmm. slightly mm -hmm. before my time actually in Northern mm -hmm. Ireland. So I suppose that's a, a little bit of what it looks like at the moment. So, so here's one of the questions that we like to ask here. You know, I'm, I'm going to switch on you. We're, we, we're talking a little bit about worship, but uh, one of our initial questions is uh, what kind of political culture did you grow up in? Or what, like, what, what was the, the heritage of politics given to you? Like just within your family or your, 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 your community, what, what would you say growing up? What was it like when, whenever politics was brought up that it's like, this is what that meant. What, what do you, how would you answer that? Interesting question. Um, and I'm glad that was your question. Some of Stephen's questions, if you're channeling Stephen, some of his questions, I don't understand them. <laughs> there you go. There you My go. My brain hurts, but I uh, can do this one, I think. <laughs> I'm going to make a show note. Stephen, no one understands you. Like... <laughs> oh, other people do. <laughs> okay, other people do. There you go. <laughs> but no, um, and it's not because of his accent. Um, just saying. So anyway, 
So yeah, so my parents are missionaries. They they started in communist Yugoslavia to give you a, an idea of the, the political journey. Uh, then they moved to Austria, which is the part of my childhood that I remember the most. So kind of from age six to 17. Austria is a predominantly Catholic country. And so as non-Catholics, we were definitely in the minority. Um, evangelicals, stroke Protestants, whatever you want to call <laughs> those of us that weren't Catholic were in the minority. So that was an interesting position to be in. Um, and I suppose then coming to Northern Ireland, so I spent some time actually in the Chicago area studying. Um, so I know a little bit about the part of the world that you're based in, Chris. Um, coming to Northern Ireland probably was where a lot of things started to, I started to see some things um, about all the countries that I've ever lived in. <laughs> Um, because of the political, I mean, it's, people call it a religious conflict, but, um, whatever you want to call it. And I don't like calling it the troubles. People refer to it as the troubles. The troubles is like when you have a headache, the troubles is not when three and a half thousand people die. Um, but for me, a lot of things started, I started asking different questions about my own background particularly when it came to being around the what they would call the marching season here, where people from a Protestant tradition would come out and march and be carrying banners with Bible verses and things on them, and they would march through, and I don't mean to offend anyone who's listening to this from a Protestant background in Northern Ireland. I've spent most of my time here um, in the Protestant community, and um, I, I, I love, I love where I live and I love the people, but it, it was baffling to me that they insisted and still do insist on marching through Catholic communities just because maybe at some point they marched there. And so they've always marched there. And even though it is, um, offensive and, um, disturbing and, you know, it's, it's noisy and the drums and the, it, it is an assault on your senses at the very least. And then you add in the, the underage drinking and all sorts. It's not a great experience. Now, I, I know many families would have um, a, a cultural element to this that would be a bit more about fun and a bit more about celebration and tradition and all of that. Um, but I was in an urban environment and where we lived when we first moved to Belfast, it was like they were marching through my living room. And so it was pretty terrifying, if I'm honest. And that first summer during marching season, I actually left the country. <laughs> I couldn't cope with it. Um, and I've sort of got a bit used to it and hardened to it now after 20 years. But um, at the start, it was it was scary. And so I had to ask myself some questions about those Bible verses and images on the banners because those were my, my people. They were Protestant people. Um, and so that started a series of, of um, interesting moments with, with people in conversations, with the Lord, um, talking to him with my Bible, <laughs> you know, with, uh, what, 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 what do these things actually mean? So that's a little bit of my, my journey.
so so here's my question about what you just said as a young minister a young you know a young pastor and 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 like you know you went back you went back to america is that where you went back to i went back to austria to meet my family because that's where they were at the time gotcha gotcha Mm -hmm. Okay, so my question is, is even as you were dealing, you were, you know, you're even your very life, you were feeling like unsafe. Did you make the connection like, this is political? Or did like, because I think sometimes as, as ministers, we're trained to spiritualize everything to the detriment of neglecting like, hey, there's there's some political things going on here. So what, what was your thought process as you went through it? Like, did you just spiritualize it? Or did you go, wow, the political stuff here is overwhelming? Yeah, well, I think it's maybe a little bit easier to get there in terms of that journey of discerning the political, because I'd read a bunch of books before I came over here, and there was a lot to the conflict here, and there was a there there were a lot of political elements to it, and the Good Friday Peace Agreement had happened not long before we arrived, so I think it was actually that aspect of Northern Ireland and coming here helped probably sharpen my focus. I understand what you're saying with your question in terms of getting, is this political? But I think in this situation, it was pretty obvious that it was. I was prepped, yeah, and you know, there were peace talks and all sorts of things that had gone before. And I don't know, would I have moved here if they were still dropping bombs? I'm not sure. You know, and since since living here, we've also built up a phenomenal friendship with a local monastery. And actually in their space, in Clonard Monastery in Catholic West Belfast, they held some of these clandestine peace conversations with one party coming in one door and one coming in the other door, actually in their monastery. And it's a really special place. And when you walk onto their premises, even into their car park, you can feel the peace of the Lord in that place. It is amazing. Uh, And so we've been incredibly blessed with the people that have come our way. Uh, along this journey. And they have really welcomed us, actually. That monastery has really welcomed the vineyard, interestingly enough. And I suppose the other thing about the vineyard is that because we don't really fit anywhere, we're just quirky, we're odd ducks in this place, it means that Protestants and Catholics can both feel welcome. And we don't insist that someone from a Catholic background let go of all of their cultural identity and sometimes they would still go to mass and do all the other things and go to the vineyard as well so i think that's been a really interesting journey to be on we're going to talk about the song that you wrote and so this is like for me it helps unpack the context of the, this this song, which in some ways, I mean, not in some ways, it was written for everybody, right? It was written for the church, but I'm reading your story into it a little bit. So I'm curious, and I want to get there in just a minute. I, I want to back up just a, just a little bit. Um, I heard you mention in an interview that you, you kind of feel yourself as a, as a third culture kid you know, because, growing up as a, in Austria. So I just want to do a quick clarification. 
and, and maybe you can get into your accent at this point, uh, is <laughs> you're, you are American. Is that correct? I was born in Colorado. Gotcha. And I lived in the United States for 11 months. And then my parents went overseas. I have an American passport. I speak with an American accent, kind of, because that's what I was speaking in my home growing up because my parents are both Americans. My husband, who is a proper born and bred Michigander, tells me that I'm not really an American <laughs> but, <laughs> because I didn't really live there for very long. I studied uh, at Trinity in Chicago and that was kind of the height that four or five year period was really the longest time that I ever lived in the United States. There you go. So yeah, so and that would have been uh, like a young adult, like early 20s or something like that. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. From, yeah. yeah. From about the age of 18 until I was newly married. And then we came over to Northern Ireland. Yeah, yeah. And so does because does anybody ever tell you that your voice, your, your accent has slowly grown Irish over the years? Did they tell that say that to you? Yes, mainly people. So people here in, in Northern Ireland think that I sound Canadian. Sorry gotcha. to all your Canadian <laughs> listeners. But um, yeah, people from England and America, they they probably hear it more than locals. Although every so often, somebody here will say, oh, that that sounds really, you know, because they do their, their vials. Yeah, <laughs> I can yeah, also yeah. put it on a bit more. You can put it on, but, yeah. <laughs> but but I'm, I, I choose not to do that. It feels like I'm mocking my own people. But um, my kids... My kids are proper Belfast accent, and um, generally people in America don't understand what my son is saying. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, so if you hear our whole family, there's like a, there's a spectrum of all of our, <laughs> from one extreme to the other. <laughs> That's great, yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I've listened to, I've watched enough Irish television to know you don't quite sound Irish, but at the same time, you don't, you definitely don't quite sound American, so... Uh, and it's fun. It's it's a fun little game to play. You know, I don't know if it's irritating. <laughs> Is that irritating when people ask you questions like that? No, I'm used to it. I'm just kind of used to it. <laughs> That's yeah, funny. it's That's fine. Funny. Okay, so a uh, quick little connection point. Uh, I took one class at Trinity. I took mm -hmm. one class at Trinity uh, uh, Seminary or, you know, the, the Divinity School. And uh, my wife and I, when we moved to the Chicago area after getting married, we were looking for churches. And one of the Sundays, we went to the Evanston Vineyard. Did you? Yeah, oh, we fantastic. did. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And this would have been in 2006. Mm -hmm. So I think a little past your time in that sense. Mm -hmm. I don't know. They, I think they maybe even had like a new facility, you know, like it was a bigger mm -hmm. facility. They built something and all that. Mm -hmm. The, the, you know, the vineyard has been an influence in my life. And so I think that's one of the reasons we attended there. We, we were on a journey towards Anglicanism and liturgy mm -hmm. and, and all that. So anyway, the, the vineyard holds a special place in my heart. And the, the fact that you had gone to Evanston, which is where we, we lived in Evanston for three years. So, so that's, that's just crazy. Funny. So there you go. Yeah. Evanston is a really cool place. Oh yeah. We love, yeah, we loved it. It was right next to the lake. It's great. So mm -hmm. <laughs> Okay, so here's my question. Uh, you, uh, along with the team, and, and you can mention maybe who some of your, your co-writers are, are on the song. You've written the song, You Have Our Yes. And, uh, you know, it's available. Anybody can listen to it. I, I think what I'm excited about is, like, to let people be aware of it. Like, I, you know, like, you know, as little as we can through this podcast. Uh, you know, I say little because, you know, we don't have a huge footprint, but I'd like to let people know about it. Um, so here's my initial question. Can you confirm something? 
did, did Stephen Backhouse help part of the, the inspiration of this song? Is this true? Yeah, well, at the same time as I was sort of processing the seed of this song, I was also then connecting with Stephen right around the same time. And definitely, I think the main part that he played for me, because the, the, the seed of this song came through a time of just personal worship and intercession. And I started singing about giving my allegiance to Jesus. And, and in a sense, I suppose I wanted to write a song like this for 20 years. Um, but I never really, I didn't really know if anyone would want to sing it apart from me, you know, but I started singing it. And I think as I listened to Stephen talk, I did a, a class with him for worship leaders called Politics and Praise, which was amazing. As I listened to him talk and listened to his podcast, I, I think what happened was I decided this was a song worth writing, worth wrestling with, and ultimately worth finishing because that can be a, <laughs> a challenge, um, actually getting a song over the line. I think he 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 played a huge part in helping me understand that this was important, not just for me to sing in my own personal worship, but actually that the church needs to sing a song like this, and the church needs to sing Jesus is Lord. He he did mention that in part of in, in the interview that you did with him uh, for your mm -hmm. own podcast or the Vineyard mm -hmm. podcast. He said, mm -hmm. I, I want you to sing more songs about Jesus. And so I was, mm -hmm. I was curious about that, if that was part of the inspiration too, not just the political aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah, no, the whole thing. And I mean, it's really interesting. I guess this is just one of those things about the spirit working and bringing people into your life at the right time, because, you know, I think that little moment of worship happened actually before I spoke to Stephen and it was like that conversation just fanned the flame you know and I think one of the things that he said that has been extraordinarily helpful is this idea that when we sing about God God can be anything really that we want God to be but when we sing about Jesus it's much harder there's a little less wiggle room um, as to what what we're actually singing about and who we are singing to. And and I suppose ultimately as well, what is then being formed in us and in our people as we sing it too. Okay. So when I listen to this song, I, I have a particular American reaction to it. And I, I want to get to that. I want like, that's, that's my coming question. I'll, I'll foreshadow that. What I'm curious is what do you think, uh, regular uh, worshipers in your church or churches across Ireland when here, when, you know, you, you're the worship leader, you're presenting this song to us and you, I don't know, you, maybe you say something beforehand. Maybe, maybe the way to ask this is, how does this offend Irish sensibilities? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know how it offends American sensibilities and I'm going to get to that. But I'm, I was curious, like when, when, when you, when you start singing this song and you look out and people go and with their arms folded, like <laughs> not singing this one, what's going on here? What, what are people hearing in your context? Well, I haven't been in a scenario where people have had their arms folded. 
Um, we've had to do it with masks on, singing with masks on. So <laughs> oh, there you go. Be, there you go. Can be hard to see people's faces, but is, okay. Um, wait, is it is this true? Like you haven't really had a great chance to sing it with like a full congregation yet? Is that correct? We've sang or? it. We've sang it with a with a congregation. I mean, okay. it's not okay. as full as it was before well, COVID. Oh my goodness! But yes, yes. Uh, we're still in our context. We still wear masks in our gatherings. So. Um, and I know that the song is is going to be used at a, a festival happening in England this coming weekend. And I'm interested to hear how it goes down there. But What's the festival? It's called David's Tent. It's a, it's a really brilliant uh, worship festival. So in terms of how people respond to it, I think I, think I expected actually more offense in in the political domain because the opening verse is about laying down our rights and our freedoms and our flags and our kingdoms and this place where i live is littered with flags you know you go into one street and it's the it's the union jack uk flag and then you drive a little bit further and it's the irish flag there are just flags everywhere and then depending on whether you resonate with palestine or israel they you know it's like we're going to put up every flag that even connects with the thing that we believe in and so maybe in a certain context this song either wouldn't be sung or it would be offensive in our community that part of it is not offensive so i don't know that i can even answer part of the question that you're asking you maybe you have to ask someone from a more traditional church in northern ireland how that um relates to them but i think i've been surprised that the feedback that i've gotten is harmony this isn't just a song about politics this isn't a song that we should sing just in july during our marching season when things are heightened and we're all very much aware of the the conflict in this place actually people have been really impacted by verse two maybe as an example our selfish ambition for power and position our fearful reactions and our constant distractions. You know, I think I think that the bridge then where it talks about loving those who hate us and embracing our neighbors, you know, that's relevant to anybody anywhere. And and I guess what I would say in the just the couple of times that I've had the chance to lead this myself is I've I've stood at the front of you know, at my keyboard and I've looked out and I've thought something different is happening in the room right now than when I lead this other song. There's a different thing happening in this space. And it was a really good thing. <laughs> I'm not sure that I totally understand it, but there is something about exactly what Stephen said, the body of Christ singing Jesus is Lord and naming some of these idols in our life. You know, people say to me that line, all of our idols must bow. It's really challenging. I find it challenging. You know, part of me doesn't want to lead this song because if I'm going to be authentic about it, I have to think about where I'm at with these things. <laughs> and sometimes I don't want to give Jesus my full attention, you know? You know, it's it's challenging. Oh, so there's that. So there's a. that's what I, I like playing this game where like, What's going on in the worship leader's mind right now? Like, I like playing that game a little bit. Um, well, so that's great. Yeah, it's like, can I even sing this song? You know, like, mm. <laughs> it's great. Mm -hmm. I love that. Maybe one of my questions was, 
whether it's me, the hypothetical worship leader or some other worship leader, like what would you tell someone if they're saying, oh, I really like this song. I believe everything it says, but I don't know. I'm scared to sing it in front of my people. What would you mm -hmm. say? What would you tell them? That is a really good question. Well, I, I would be interested to know what they're scared of. You know, what are they worried is going to happen? Um, I would probably want to talk to them about whether their pastor, whoever it is, is okay with them singing it. <laughs> you know, are they on board? Um, and I and I think probably the conversation would be around possibly more generally, what is the diet of songs in our songbook? What are we actually singing? And what is that forming in our community? And if this is something that we want to see formed, this allegiance to Jesus and and the, the, the naming and the battling with some of those idols. You know, if that's important to us, then how can we get there? You know, how, what, maybe there are some things that need to happen first before you could sing a song like this, perhaps in, in certain context. Maybe I would say, you know, start with the chorus because it, I don't know how any Christian, any Jesus follower, could argue with what it says in that chorus based on scripture. I'd like to hear them try. You have our yes Let our lives confess and say Jesus is Lord We'll take up the cross No matter the cost we say Selfish ambition for power and position. All of our idols must bow. Our fearful reactions and constant distractions. All of our Maybe it would be start in sections and maybe talk about why it is that this is going to be difficult in your community and maybe you need to tackle that not just through the worship songs. Maybe there's a bigger thing that needs to happen in your community and maybe you shouldn't be doing that by yourself. So that's maybe some of the things that we would talk about if that makes sense to you. You know, that's an interesting little thing that you said on the end there. Don't do it by yourself. So I think sometimes uh, uh, us worship leaders or, or music leaders, we're the artists in the church, and we're and we're like, mm -hmm. and, and we also have this prophetic voice going on. Yeah. We're like, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this song, and <laughs> and when I do, then they'll all see. You know, like I, at least mm -hmm. I have that mentality. As mm -hmm. uh, I, I want to shake things up, but I'm afraid to at the same time. Mm maybe planning a song like this out, like uh, uh, introducing it to leaders first and not necessarily getting pastoral approval. I don't know, something about that seems a little bit, that's not, that's not quite what I intend. It's more about saying, listen, this is something we, I, I'm bringing to all of us. Mm -hmm. This, this mm -hmm. isn't just my artistic statement. So mm -hmm. I don't know, does that resound mm -hmm. with you at all? No, that's really good. I'm also mm -hmm. interested to know about your, you said you had a response to this as an American. So yeah. I definitely want you to talk about that. Okay, 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 okay. This is fun. This is fun stuff. 
Now, this isn't exactly me because I'm, you know, listen, I, I'm doing the Tent Theology podcast and we're, we, we, we talk about nationalism all the time. But it's funny as an American, maybe here's my, this isn't a critique of the song. It's like when I listen to the lyrics, I go, hmm, how would Americans hear this? Like, mm -hmm. what, do you, what do you mean my flag is an idol? Like, that's not like, no, no, no. This represents all of who I am. Like this, this flag defines my identity. It's not, it's not a, how, how dare you call that an idol? That represents mm -hmm. my freedom. Don't you mm -hmm. know that uh, we, we fought for our freedoms uh, and that, that's what that flag represents. And so it's in some ways, the song is a few steps ahead of a lot of a, so many people that mm -hmm. you, you have to offend their sensibilities first. And so it might take mm -hmm. them a while to get caught up to, to what you're trying to do with it. Because, mm -hmm. and also like the thing for me, like when you talk about the war and the weapons, like I'm like, oh my goodness, lay it down, lay it, lay down the weapons. But many mm -hmm. people, we have these images in America. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever seen these images. Uh, it's, they're quite bizarre to me, but they say, it's an image of a kneeling soldier, like with their helmet. And then mm -hmm. kind of in the background is the cross the cross of Christ. And it says, yeah. uh, the American owes their freedoms to two things, the cross and the soldier. And I don't know mm -hmm. if other countries had this same kind of, mm. you know, obsession with that, but that's a thing for us. So for us to hear that our weaponry might be, might be an idol, might be antichrist, let's say. Mm -hmm. I don't say the antichrist. I just mean in the same sense that like first John, like that is antichrist be on the, be on the lookout for that. Like, it's like how, but my freedom comes from the soldier. Mm -hmm. And uh, also, by the way, we have this thing in America with the second amendment, uh, you know, the freedom yeah. for myself to own, own weapons. Right. And so for, for me to even lay down my own personal right, quote unquote, right, which you said in the first verse, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, to lay that down, like, no, no. And so it's like, yeah, I'm not going to this church. Now, again, like, it's kind of like, I, that at this point it might not matter but uh, this this is the fun little cultural game i'm playing in my mm -hmm, head mm -hmm. any any responses to all that well it's interesting because with our current uh, publishing and arrangement that we're doing with vineyard worship usa in partnership with integrity music we release a single a month and this single goes out into the United States as well. So we actually had to say to our friends at Vineyard Worship USA, are you guys okay with this song? Um, is this going to create problems for you? And um, if, if it is, maybe we need to find a different vehicle for getting this song out there. Because I, I appreciate everything that you're saying and I understand it's a really um, tense time in America and and it's so divided even you know within families and so it, it's been difficult even in my own family I have to say and so I'm not sure my own relatives would love this song and some of them maybe don't know that I've written it or are just choosing to say nothing about it which is fine um, but I guess I think the conversation maybe again on, on a bigger picture is like, are we only going to sing worship songs that make us f continue to feel comfortable and that are not challenging to the idols? And maybe your flags and your weapons are not an idol. Maybe you just 
have a flag and you have a weapon and it's not an idol, I'm that's not for me to judge. Um, but maybe you have other idols in your life because we all do, <laughs> right? So maybe what happened as well when I heard Stephen talking was I've been feeling for a long time, like, where is the worship that's actually costly? Where is the worship that, like at the end of Second Samuel, where David talks about, I won't bring an offering that doesn't cost me anything. Where is that worship in our worship? And are we simply worshiping worship? Or are we actually worshiping Jesus? Because following Jesus is not comfortable. And so our worship maybe shouldn't be as comfortable as it is. And so, you know, maybe you wouldn't choose to sing this song. Maybe that doesn't work in your community and it and it raises issues that you don't want to tackle in, in that particular forum. But are you singing other songs that are doing a similar thing, maybe in a different way? Okay, so I want to make a connection. I want to, I want to kind of invert things, flip them inside out, because one of the things that I've heard you speak about a decent amount of time, and also you, you talk about it as a, a, as a vineyard essential, is intimacy with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the perceptions of modern worship, contemporary worship, is that the, the, the intimacy uh, concept is, is, is almost narcissistic. It's, it's mm -hmm. like, it becomes about me and Jesus and it's only me and Jesus. And I think what I, I think what I hear you offering in this song is, is like, ha, you have to hold them in tension that, mm -hmm. that intimacy with Jesus leads us to look at our neighbor, leads us to look at the other. And there's right. a, I don't know that you're doing something in this song that I think you're offering us something that it's kind of it's kind of a both and can you speak to that a little bit yeah well i think one of the critiques of the vineyard and i understand why people say this is is this thing about intimacy with jesus is like jesus is my boyfriend kind of sappy love songs but jesus is not my boyfriend even when i'm singing love songs to jesus i'm singing them to jesus and not to my boyfriend so what does that what does that look like and one of my very favorite passages of scripture is John 15. And greater love has no one than this than to lay down their life for their friends. This is the kind of um, Jesus following and loving of Jesus that I suppose we're getting at in this song. And um, we want to remain in the vine. You know, I love the whole, I whole the whole chapter is wonderful. And the whole chapter speaks to intimacy, but it's not intimacy with my boyfriend. It's intimacy with Jesus. And so I do think perhaps the vineyard has a little bit of work to do in terms of you're saying we're offering this song. And I, and I think this is a recognition of that. But I also think that if you look at some of the earlier songs, like Holy and Anointed One is one of my very favorite songs that probably most people would know. I think it's a beautiful example of intimate worship to Jesus because the first part of the song really sets it up so well. Holy and Anointed One, Risen and Exalted One. It's saying this is who this Jesus is, not my boyfriend. You know, he's the risen Jesus and I love him. Jesus 
section of the song is and he's like honey on my lips and I love him that's the Jesus that we love and so I, I think that is a really important song and has been in, in the vineyard and I think the vineyard needs to consider what intimacy and worship means as well as everybody else um, but it doesn't mean that it's not important because again John 15 he calls us friends sometimes when people struggle with that word intimacy I just say well just think about it like friendship like a deep friendship with Jesus. Because intimacy can be a bit weird, kind of as a word for us in this day and age. But what about friendship with Him? Your name is like honey. I have two more questions regarding maybe what our worship has to do uh, with our politics or our communities that we live in. Um, and the one is is really rooted in your own context. Uh, it, it's this is a tricky question. I'm not exactly sure how to how to ask this other than to say, how do you as a minister? I mean, you're you're like a couple of decades on now um, mm -hmm. in, in Belfast. How do you navigate through the the political dynamics in Belfast? Um, you technically, to be clear on American audiences, I actually I loved um, the, the I, one interview I listened to you with. It was an American guy, I think a vineyard guy. And he like didn't understand that you actually live in the UK. You live you live in in Britain, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, and yeah. I was like, oh, this dude, yeah. like, dude, you know, just look up, look it up on Wikipedia. I, you know, you know, love the it guy. happens all the time, <laughs> all the time. It's OK. That's all right. Yeah. So so like, how do you as you're working? Like, how do you address these things? Like, do you do you feel like you have to come down on a side from Irish independence, or or who, or how, how does that work? How does that work for you? Um, and how how have you, how have you navigated that those these these tricky murky waters? Um, well, I would say one of the key things has been back to that word friendship, um, friendship with people from different backgrounds, friendship with people from different sides of the community, uh, and openness to kind of like meet anybody once or have a conversation with anyone, you know. Um, I think one of the things that we have going for us, my husband and I, is actually our identity and coming from somewhere else. So it wouldn't just have to be American, but the fact that we're not from here, I think we're able to maybe have conversations that would be more difficult for someone to have or friend have friendships with people that would be tricky for someone from here. Um, so I think the combined factor of us being not from here and also vineyard, crazy, crazy vineyard, um, 
people think we're nuts anyway. So um, I hope we're not half as crazy as what people think that we are, but um, maybe we actually are. So I think I think that really helps. But I think the other thing I would say to you is I would love to be asked this question again in 10 years because I think there's something about the, the trust that is built up over two decades now. I would say we're only just beginning because to really actually talk about these things, even for people to trust you with, do you know what happened in my family during the troubles? These are the family members that I lost, or my dad was a policeman and we had to check under our car for bombs every day. And, you know, um, some of these stories, I think you journey with them over time with people and they come to trust you and they come to talk to you about things that they wouldn't talk to just anybody. So I, I guess I'm looking towards the next 10 years and 20 years or whatever and, and excited to see what might happen in this space um, because I also don't think that I would have written a song like You Have Our Yes and released it here much earlier than this because these are my people now and I identify with them. So in a sense, I'm writing a song about myself, which is different than when you write a song or you say something to someone else about their life, their journey, their story, and you put an accusation out there, or you make a judgment. Um, and I think, I think the people in my life know my heart in writing a song like this. And funny, um, yesterday I was at a barbecue at someone's house and something had happened in Belfast City Center that's nothing to do with the troubles, but um, there were some street preachers that they were annoying the living daylights out of me because they were like, we all have sinned. <laughs> And I just was like, I can't cope with this. You're making my job so much more difficult. Um, and then there was some other people there with a certain type of flag that were flying it in their face, you know. And I said to somebody at this barbecue, like, I wanted to stand on the other side of that conversation, you know, not with my not with my fellow preachers, but on the other side of it. But they were like, but you wrote a song about raising a flag. So I think there's other also this accountability in community after 20 years where if I put something in a song and I don't live up to it, there's people in my life that'll say to me, hey, do you remember that song you wrote? <laughs> How about you try and live it? <laughs> You know, um, so anyway, that's a very long-winded way of saying I, I think I think after 20 years, we're just beginning. Oh, that's beautiful. So I have, I have a similar question, maybe a follow-up. And, and this is another question that you, you, you can, it's, you would be able to answer this in another 10 years uh, for yourself, for yourself personally, for yourself as a, as a, a, lead, a worship leader of worship leaders. Um, what are you thinking? Like, how, how are you approaching the hope of awakening the political imaginations within us as music leaders in our churches. Like, uh, you know, this might, this might be answered in another song that's percolating that that's been working its way uh, in your heart or, or where do you see God pointing us to? Like, what, what can we do in our churches? Uh, have, have, has that, since you've written this song, has any thoughts like that struck you? Like, what, what would you say to us? Well, part of the imagination part of it is, wow, okay, so people are actually singing this song and it seems to be working in some other, in some context, so what else can we write? 
um, because I suppose this was a bit of a test balloon. Let's do this and let's see what happens. And because of COVID and stuff, like normally I would have tried a song in a, in a church context with actual people in front of me before recording it. But in this instance, because of COVID, it was a bit of a shot in the dark because we didn't really even know, did it work in a church? Well, turns out, at least in our church and a number of other places that we've heard from, it's working really well and some interesting things are happening. And this is the thing about songs. They are such powerful little vehicles. And our our friends in the world of theology, um, I, I, th I think we... I think if we did more maybe of what Stephen and I were doing, having conversations, um, chewing on some things together, letting the Spirit draw our, our relationships and our conversations together in a way that, that, we, that we then take that and put it into a song because people don't sing sermons. They sing songs and they put them on repeat. Like people, somebody was telling me they walk through their neighborhood with this song on repeat over and over and over and that's so so powerful so i guess my question is well what else can we do and if we put a bit more work into this on the on the content messaging side um, as well as obviously the melody is super important because it's a song it's not a poem it's a song um, but what else could we do i think that's really exciting and things that maybe we think are unsingable because they're too offensive or they make people feel uncomfortable well maybe we just don't know because we haven't tried or we've tried badly <laughs> um, or we've tried by ourselves instead of doing it in community in friendship with others you know with the support Stephen gave me a little bit of confidence like this is a message worth doing, you know, push through, get that third verse finished. You know, it was like, I've, I've got to get this over the line because there is a battle. There is a spiritual battle around this too. It's the powers and principalities element of it. And you're writing it thinking, oh, this doesn't sound like, and then insert whatever really well-known worship, um, you know, group. It doesn't sound like them. It doesn't sound like the kind of thing anyone else is writing. Maybe it's not worth writing. That's where we or I, at least in my own insecurity, go. But when we do it together, it's like, oh, no, this is important. And maybe not everyone needs to sing it, but it's, it's really doing good things in our community. And so I'm really glad that, I'm really glad that we did that. And I guess it's just, what else might we do? Yeah. You know, I think for me, what helps me to, to hear that is, for me to lead this song in my people. And I haven't done it yet. Haven't, haven't gotten there. Uh, you know, talk to me in a, a month or two. We'll see. Great. Uh, is for me to switch and go, I am singing this song with my people, mm. not I'm the artist and I'm going to blow your minds. <laughs> By the way, mm -hmm. you, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so that's, that's one thing I'm thinking about a quick quick couple of quick questions um is there a chance in the future that you would you would release a live version of this from your church or from like a a, a, a vineyard conference of some kind is that in the works at all absolutely yeah, yeah it is in yeah. the works we are we are aware that that's a something that would be useful okay so Very good stay tuned there you go stay tuned did you ever get any feedback from uh vineyard us about the song <laughs> 
Well, the guys that that run Vineyard Worship USA really love it. I know that some churches in the U.S. are singing it. I don't know details. Um, I know of one church that sang it more than once. So, yeah, that's kind of all I know. I mean, you probably know this yourself. It can take a long time with a song to actually get any feedback. It takes a while for people to pick it up and then give it a try and... It can be years before you actually really know very much about what's happened with the song. Thanks for taking the time today. I appreciate it so much. It's been, I don't know, it's just, I don't know, it's ministered to me, so I appreciate it. Mm. Thank you. Well, thank you so much yeah. to you guys for your podcast as well. I think one of the, the times that, that that I remember most about the podcast would be there was a Q&A session that Stephen did where he um, just took people's questions and somebody was asking, how do I deal with my family members that have a very different mm. perspective politically than me? And he cha- he challenged this thing of why do you feel like you have to be right all the time? And in terms of my, my own journey and maturity as a d- disciple, I really needed to hear that. And so just to say there's more happening than just an exchange of ideas and talking about political imagination there is also a formation element in your podcast that i really appreciate and have benefited from myself and been challenged by so thank you guys for that you're welcome yeah you're welcome yeah it's interesting what what clicked in my head was in in speaking about politics we inevitably get to like huh I don't know if I'm a very emotionally healthy person. I might need some help. So, (laughs) right. And maybe our prayer would be that politicians would go to, they would be led to that place. Like, how would our politics be transformed if they all realized I need healing? I need, I need mercy. I, I, and, and instead of like, I'm here to put, put, I'm pushed through my policy or whatever it is, my agenda that, no, you know what? I'm, I'm acting as a politician from an emotionally unhealthy place. Mm. And uh, that, that would be wonderful if our podcast could just help a few people realize that. That's amazing. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Chris. To further support the show, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media and learn more about 10th Theology at www.10thTheology.com. Thank you for joining us and God bless everyone.